I was in the seventh grade, and uh, Tom Mikituck was my confirmation teacher. He was really cool. He was young, and he was understanding, and he was really cute. He was also a seminary student, and he was leaving. It was our last class together. We met on the stage of the church basement. It was back where churches had basements with stages. We sat in these folding chairs around two tables. There were about 12 of us in the class, and most of us, if not all of us, had been a part of that group since early elementary school. We were a rowdy bunch, but that day, Tom quieted us quickly. In a more serious mood than usual, he passed to each of us a sheet of paper. It was about a quarter of a regular sheet of paper. Then he handed out pencils and he gave us our assignment. He said, I want you to write down the most terrible thing you have ever done. Right. You have got to be kidding. I am not writing anything down. I am not admitting anything. Such were the responses from these seventh grade confirmation kids, a few of whom probably had a lot to confess, being as they were Chicago greasers. But Tom quieted us again and he calmed our fears. No one, absolutely no one will see what you write. I promise. So silence settled over us as we moved as far as we possibly could get from one another given our constraints of, of where we were. And we scooped our arms around and we put our heads down, you know, so that no prying eyes could see what it was that we were about to write. We all began to think about what to write, what, what to risk, what to confess. Thinking back, I'm kind of surprised. We all took it fairly seriously. None of us made jokes. Some of us started writing pretty quickly and kept writing. <laughs> Others of us had to stew a bit. I was one of the ones who had a little to write fairly quickly. But then there was Debbie Williams. Pretty, rich, snotty, snubby Debbie Williams. Tom. I don't know what to write. I don't have anything terrible that I've done. Ha. We knew what Debbie could write. <laughs> we knew her sins intimately. We would have been happy to help her fill her page. Well, finally, we'd all written something. Fold them up, Tom said. Fold them up so that no one can see them. And put them in this bowl. So we did, not without some reservations, but we did. And then Tom Mikituck did something that changed my life. Something that I remember these 40 plus years later as if it was yesterday. 
Tom took that bowl with those secret worst things we'd ever done, and he set them on fire. Right there in the church basement, long before, I'm sure, smoke alarms and certainly sprinkler systems. And although that I've tried on numerous occasions to duplicate that powerful moment and failed, somehow Tom managed to get all of those pieces of paper to burn up. Totally, fully, right down to just ashes. At least, that's how I remember it. Then Tom said this most amazing thing. You have just witnessed God's grace. This is what God's forgiveness looks like. God loves us so much and forgives us so fully that our very worst thing ever is gone, turned to ash. In this little vaguely dangerous demo, Tom managed to teach me about God's grace in a way that has lasted a lifetime. God's love manages to take the worst parts of our being human and transform them into nearly nothing. Just a trace, a smudge, just, just a bit of ash, a mark. That love claims us. Before we are ever born, we are loved in baptismal waters, we are washed, and today we come to receive just a tiny trace of ash a reminder of our humanity, of our mortality, a sign that our very worst things ever have been burned in the white, hot, passionate love of God. Marked by the cross of Christ, we are claimed as children of God. Brothers and sisters, forgiven, loved. Here we are, gathered. Brothers and sisters in Christ, some of us knowing, some of us, but acquaintances too and strangers, gathered here today for this odd, seemingly archaic ritual of ashes with just a smudge of oil, enough, enough to leave a mark that will last, at least through lunch. Gathered here today to hear the ancient words most often spoken at the graveside of a loved one who is laid to rest, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from dust you came to dust you shall return. Why in the world would we do such a thing? For many, if not most of us, it begins not by a choice, but rather as a matter of survival. No dessert for anyone who doesn't go to church. Oh, too sick for church? Well, you're too sick for being with friends later, too, then. You know. 
A lot of us are gathered, at least at the beginning, because we have to. Then somewhere along the way, we make friends. We learn the words. We like the bread and the cookies after. And before we know it, we're going because we want to. Then maybe a lifetime after inning and outing, going, then not, we find ourselves at a place in which we gather because that's just how it is. It's like breathing or sleeping or walking or, or working out or checking Facebook. You, you gather because it's part of who you are and what you do. I think there's yet another side, at least one other. I think of it as coming from my years of having been a parish pastor, first in Chicago and then in California. Over the years, I've heard close to every reason why people don't gather. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's raining. It's snowing. It's too nice outside. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm hungover. I mean sick. It's too long. The sermons are boring. The music is unsingable. The pastors are too preachy. Oh, they're not godly enough. The pastor is too liberal, too conservative. A woman, oh my gosh, the pastor might be gay. Good Lord, we've got as many reasons as God's got children not together. But in the end, from my view of the world, I believe that we gather. I believe we are gathered because it is the only way to keep us honest. If I'm off in the forest communing with my sweet, nice nature God, who will confess with me? Who will insist that I confess? If I'm sleeping in or sleeping it off, who will help me hear the word of God read and proclaimed? If I'm on the slopes, the waves, or the elevator on my way to work, who will pass me God's peace? If I'm anywhere else but with the gathered, who will walk with me through my failures as well as my successes, through my sorrows and my joys? We are gathered because it is the only way for us to be fully human. As both saint and sinner, as brother or sister, as forgiven and for needing forgiveness. We gather because we must, even and especially as we are reminded of our frailty by the smudge of ash that names us mortal. 
which, beca which becomes manageable because we hear it, we receive it, gathered. Our son Sam, I think you know, a few of you know him. Well, he observed his first Halloween when he was nearly three years old. When you hear the story, you'll know why I didn't use the word celebrated. We lived in a Chicago neighborhood then, and we were just going to trick-or-treat on the block. We waited until early evening to go, Sam, his dad, and I. Sam had two costumes that year. Actually, it was two sets of pajamas. I was too cheap to uh, buy costumes and didn't know how to make them. But they were cool pajamas. One, was, one made him look like a, a pumpkin, and, and the other was the Superman pajamas with a Velcro cape. I'm not sure which one he wore that night, but I think it was the Superman one. So we got ready to go. Sam got his pumpkin-shaped bucket, and I put one piece of our Halloween candy in it, sort of a starter piece. We went out the door and across the street to the home of a kind and elderly couple. Jim and I helped Sam go up to the door and ring the bell. We gave him a little nudge and words of encouragement. And, and the door opened and this kind woman appeared, making appropriate oohs and ahs about his costume. And in her hands, this woman held a large silver tray that was spread with this variety of different kinds of candy. Silently, almost formally, she bent forward and she held the tray in front of Sam. Sam's eyes moved from the lady's smiling face down to the tray of candy, down further to his pumpkin bucket, and back up to the tray and the lady. Silently, slowly, Sam reached his little hand down into the bottom of his bucket and he picked up that one piece of candy and lip trembling, he placed it on the tray. <laughs> After a moment of stunned silence, we, meaning the adults, simultaneously figured out what had just happened and simultaneously we responded. But I remember the neighbor lady's words. She said, oh honey, I don't think you understand what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Under my breath, I found myself saying, I'm not so sure I want him to. Of course he did. And even though he wasn't all that big on candy, he arrived home with his bucket loaded the way he was supposed to. I've thought about that story often, told it a few times to friends, but never until now told it in a sermon. Sorry. <laughs> I was never quite sure when to talk about it until today. Our third word in the mission statement of the ELCA is sent. We are sent. Now please don't misunderstand my meaning. I'm not suggesting that we're sent out costumed in faith to give away the one and only piece of candy, figuratively speaking, in our metaphorical pumpkin bucket of life. 
That whole deal has been handled. Thank Jesus. Now, actually, I'm not so much focusing on what we do when we're sent. I think it's about how we go. When we go where we are sent, out into the world, out around the block, onto the quad, into our dorm. When we go where we are sent, I think as a result of having been claimed and gathered, we go with eyes open, willing to pay attention to read the situation. We go with hearts open, willing to share even that last luscious Tootsie Roll. We go with hands open, ready and willing to actually do what the heart might be calling for. Now I know there's a fatal flaw in the metaphor. I know that probably more than one. That lady didn't need Sam's lonely little Tootsie Roll. Her tray was already full, but, but maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point isn't about whoever it is we're giving to. Maybe the point is much more about us and our lives and our perceptions about our lives. You see, the good news that is ours in Christ is that our pumpkin buckets of life are full, as full as that lady's tray, full and overflowing. As claimed, gathered, and sent children of God, it's never, ever about giving up our last Tootsie Roll, even when it seems that way. Such is the mysterious, abounding, everlasting stream of grace that we carry with us again today. Claimed, gathered, and now sent pumpkin buckets at the ready.